a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to Daddy vs. Doctor. Here are your hosts, pediatrician Dr. Scott Cohen and comedian Sebastian Maniscalco. Welcome to Daddy vs. Doctor. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we've had a guest in, in studio. studio. Uh, today we're going to welcome Marcellus Wiley, former NFL uh, defensive lineman who played for a variety of teams and now a... He's everything from an announcer to a podcaster, uh, and he's got a book called Never Shut Up, which I read, and it's just fascinating. There he oh is. That's God. it. He's like That's listening. <laughs> that is, that, is that sweat? What's going on? What's going <laughs> you know on? Me. I did have oh, to go so up some stairs. What's, What's up, happening? Man? How's it going? How's it going? There's no like, hey, you want, is that chair big enough? Whoa. <laughs> I just got both hips compressed. <laughs> Like, am I working out right now? Cryo? Slimming. <laughs> Y'all have little guests. All right. So. Itty bitties. We, we, are, we are glad that you're here. And I need help on this, too. And, and, and you are a former football player. Yeah. You can't tell right now looking at me. But damn it. <laughs> Let me stand up out this tight ass chair. I'll show you. <laughs> so how important. Is it for you as a father to implement sports and integrate it into your kids' life? Is this something that you you yourself grew up with and saw how important it is? And now, because I know your son is heavily involved in sports. Yeah, and what do sports do, in your opinion, uh, for kids? And, and what are the benefits of it at a young age? Yeah, I'm glad you said sports and not just football, because a lot of times people see me and they're like, all right, I know the bio, I know you, so your son's gonna play football. And I'm like, no, all my kids are gonna play sports. Um, you just learn so much of life and the lessons when you have sports uh, intersecting with your day-to-day -day experience. You can start with just scheduling, like the fact that once you put that into your schedule, a kid actually has structure, an hour of practice, two hours of practice, a game. All of a sudden, they realize that there's a destination for them outside of just going to school. Now, why is that important? Because if they don't have that, I always say, if your parents aren't there, then something else will raise you. And that idle time will be you First, just going outside, riding your skateboard. Then that turns into riding your bike. Then that turns into making a turn on a corner that you're not supposed to because mom and dad's not watching. Which turns into now you're hanging in different areas and doing different things that not necessarily you should be doing. Um, sports saved me from those decisions. It saved me from those circumstances. And where I grew up, it was so bad that um, I couldn't have that idle time. Um, so 
what you get from sports is a structure. Then you get to put your hand in the middle of a huddle and everyone's hand looks different. Everyone's from a different background. Um, everyone has a different skill set. Everyone thinks differently. Everyone has a different goal in mind, but we're there to unite to do one thing, which is to go out there and win. And you learn like the ultimate team mindset from just playing eight-year-old flag football. And then I just think there's snowballs and no matter what you become in life, and most won't become athletes, obviously, it's gonna be something that is now hardwired you to work well with others um, and also give your best and to know that you have to show up two things and then when you show up show out i want to parlay on that so you reached really like the epitome of sports i mean you were an nfl player like you said a lot of athletes out there never make it to that level how do you contrast compare and contrast so how your parents were on you as an athlete growing up and how you are on your children and i know they're younger so maybe we're not there yet how you see yourself as a parent in their athletic careers growing up I didn't know how well I had it until I got to the pros and realized, wow, I had the best support system ever. My mother, um, very emotional, um, but she only wants to bring the best out of you. So she's very gregarious, engaging. She was amazing, always there, always present, like my father. But my father was more of the silent supporter. Like he just watched. I can score a touchdown, but I look at everyone's go, ah, and here goes my dad. And then I could go out there and fumble the football and lose the game, and here goes my dad. Then we go home, and my dad, he always wanted to insert knowledge into what he saw. We would watch film. Like, we were the only kids in the hood who had a camcorder. Like, we saved up all our money to get this JVC camcorder just because he wanted to film me and film us playing sports and I would come home and we would watch film and he wouldn't be, he wouldn't grade me, wouldn't be hard on me. He would just say, what were you doing in that moment? What were you thinking? And just put it back on me. So all of a sudden I started to think and be more self-aware through everything I was doing on the field. And it worked out wonderfully. Um, but I had a great balancing act. No one made me go pro. No one thought I was going to go pro. They weren't cashing me in as a lotto ticket before I was in high school. And it was weird because everyone else around me was, but my parents never. And when I got to the pros, I realized, wow, I'm really self-motivated because I wanted to be here. And I used to see guy after guy with the same level of talent, if not more, tap out because they didn't want to make that decision that you had to make the next day, which is I'm gonna run through that wall. I look at the NFL as simple. It was like every day there was a different wall presented and you had to run through them. Couldn't run around them, couldn't run over them. You had to run through it. And then you get to a certain point, whatever you are, whoever you are, whether you're a retiring guy or the best game is behind you. And you're just looking like that next wall makes you doubt. That next wall makes you think it. Think about it twice. And that's when you realize it's about over. So my parents just had me so fueled and so pumped, man. I just wanted to run through every wall. I got to change what I'm doing. <laughs> you're such a large man, which commands, like when you walk in the room, you know you're there, right? Yeah. Now, 
in your relationship with your wife, are do you tend to be the disciplinarian? Is she the disciplinarian? And when you talk amongst your kids, do you command more respect simply because of the sheer <laughs> magnitude of not fitting in a chair? Shrek. Yeah. And we're talking about with your kids because we know your wife disciplines you. Right, so, right. Thank you. You, know, like you guys that. know better. Oh, man. Great question. Um, I think my wife is a disciplinarian per action, per event, per episode. I'm more of the disciplinarian of the culture, like a greater like expectation with the kids. I don't harp on every little thing. Um, I just think that there's only so many things the kids should be thinking through, thinking about, and the rest should just be on autopilot. So I'm trying to like rig it to where this culture of expectation is what they understand. She's trying to make sure that every foot is in the right direction, follow it by the next foot. And I guess in football terms, it's some coaches is like, look, run a five yard out, turn around, Peyton's gonna throw it. And some coaches are like, I want your inside foot at a 33 degree angle, and then I want you to run up here and then turn and then drop your hips. And I just think like, just get open and catch the ball, you know? So. We come at it different ways, which I think is a good balancing act for our kids, but they do know we expect them to be disciplined. Did you determine that going into this? Or the, it just because a lot of times I just think uh, parents don't discuss, at least we didn't, Same. Lana and I didn't discuss how we're going to discipline our kids. I just say, I'll do mine, you do yours, and then and we'll you'll be right. <laughs> I'll be wrong. And I'll be right. There it is, right? There it is. Yeah. Oh, man. I, it, it, you know what? I, I look at it in the discipline lane. It's almost like when I was single. It was like when you were dating. There were so many things you didn't discuss. You just expected. And then you learn from your personalities, oh, they're going to come in this way, so I'm going to come in this way. And I, I've noticed the same thing. Like, we don't talk about it. We're not proactive with it, but it just becomes. Um, for me, I I de determined that I wanted to be the parent that was liked and loved and respected. So liked meant, like, I'm going to go to daddy first. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer, like, spoil the kid, but as long as they don't act spoiled. You know, I'm a big believer that... Um, you should have a friendship with your kid at the same time. They have to respect you and kind of like know that you deserve that reverence. Um, my wife, she's the nervous type, man. She's an OC deer. She was the type growing up, biting her fingernails before her track meet, before basketball games, nervous, even though she was the best player. And I was the type that knew I was the best player. So therefore I could relax in terms of being calm but I knew that since I was the best player, I better show up, you know? So I didn't have to wear it. She wears it. I'm like, dog, you know you're gonna do it. So why are you wearing it too? And I just think that that's our, that's our ways of getting into it. I just show up and everyone's like, wow, you make it look so easy. I'm like, well, I'm already kind of internally built myself up for this moment. And my wife is gonna, oh my God, this is such a big moment. And she probably still shows up, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Thank you.
you you mentioned uh, we talked actually beforehand about you know growing up in Compton and then to Columbia, which I think should be the title of your next book by the ah. way, from Compton to Columbia. How do you feel about your upbringing in Compton and how you're bringing up your kids, which my guess is very different, living a different lifestyle in like Encino now? Yeah, um, I'm amongst friends, so I'll tell you the truth. Um, one Compton is not as bad. Uh, South Central, where I grew up, is not as bad as advertised. But every single thing you've heard occurred. So when people watch Boys in the Hood, they watch these movies, they hear the rap songs, they're like, damn, it was like that? I was like, it was like that, but not every single day and not every single way, but every single thing you've heard occurred. It, it gives you tremendous like perspective. And I got that perspective from the adversity that I faced. Like just trying to get home at times was like a task. You had to use up so much of your mental hardware just trying to figure out, all right, should I walk on this side or that side? Should I turn the corner now or am I gonna walk past them this time? That gang, um, the de decoding of all of the stuff we had to go through, man. Like uh, the hats became a thing, teams became a thing. Those started to become symbols for gangs. So you can mess around and be a fan of a team and be in enemy territory just because of your fandom, not because you're really a gangster. So it was just so much stuff I had to navigate around. But it gave me a perspective because I, I, I'm now bilingual, playing in the NFL, making money, being a broadcaster. I can speak both languages of this world, which is haves and have nots. A lot of people can't. A lot of people say they can and then they theorize about it, but I actually did. So it gave me a great perspective. Didn't know it at the time. I was, I actually resented my upbringing a lot because I was like, yo, we are broke, like straight up, not resenting my parents and the love they had for me, resenting that, wow, I knew there was a world where people were given things to help get more. And I was given nothing like first of the month, third of the month, 15th of the month, payday, the rest, good luck. And it was like, damn, it made me just all of a sudden turn all of that that energy that I felt around me into something that I was going to use as fuel. So the hardest part wasn't the gangs. It wasn't the drugs. It wasn't the poverty. It really was the low ambition. Like that's what started beating me up. Like I would run into elder after elder, someone I, you know, you're nine years old and you run up to someone who's your uncle or someone older than you. And you're like, wow, I'm amazed by them. And you know, my, my uncle was a bodybuilder. He's 17. He won all these championships and I was so pumped. And then I would talk to him in depth and I'll be like, oh, he's not, he's not who he wants to be. And then you go into the store and you see a mother yelling at her kid. And then you go down the street and you see two dudes fighting and you, and you started to add it up. Like what's in common of all this? You know, what's the commonality? And I started to realize that, oh, no one's living their dream. You know, everyone is sitting here at the edge because they didn't make their dreams a reality. So a bunch of jobs, no careers. Then listening, then you start ear hustling. I hear my mom and aunties talking and it's like, you know, phone company, light company, you know, not to diss any of that, but that's not what they dreamt about when they were 10 years old, 15 years old. So Compton was challenging, but those challenges made me dig deeper to find out who I was. And that discovery gave me a foundation and greater perspective. So uh, it's different now. My son is, <laughs> man, 
he's seven in Encino with all the things I used to dream about is like now his norm. Matter of fact, he complains at times when he doesn't have more. And I'm like, everything you have is more than I ever had times 10. As great as he has it as a baseline, and I think that is a positive, because in this world, we can say all we want, but the rich get richer in part because they're already in that snowball effect. It makes me sad because I look at him almost daily and I'm like, dude, I was your age and had none of this. And it makes me think if I were there now, the kids who are there now, seven years old, do they have the same chance I had? Do they have a worse chance? Because now my version of me has resources, has means, and that gap has gotten wider. So could a seven-year-old Marcellus, who was great at football, still compete against a seven-year-old MJ, my son, who is better at football, who has a dad who made it, who has specialized trainers and coaches, and is in a different world? And it makes me sad. That's why my foundation, we always go back to help them out. We had a discussion on this. And at first I disagreed with your take on this because I am I was of the school of coming from nothing sometimes motivates you to get out of where you're at, right? But you flipped it around and said just, just what you said. Your kid has more opportunities now than you ever had to be far maybe even better than you as a football player. Isn't there something to be said about striving for those things rather than already, I mean, you can't fake the environment. It is what it is, right? And my worry is the kids have it all. What, you know, we're going to sit in the front row when we go someplace. When my dad took me to the Bulls game, we sat, in the, in the, in the upper lights. deck. You move the lights over. If, right. you, if you went, right? If, if exactly. I even went. Right, right. And now he's yeah. sitting in the front row, so I have perspective of like, oh, wow, we used to be up there, now we're down here. But when you start down there, do you have have an appreciation of being there? Right. That's my biggest challenge for the kids. Yeah, I love this conversation. This is exactly the battle I think everyone has, especially if you have that balancing act, you're bilingual. You you were a have not, now you have it. I would generalize because this is not an absolute answer, but for me, people forget that the rich get richer comes with the poor get poorer. Now, what does that mean? If you're poor, the average poor person stays poor. What we have done is selected those who made it from poor conditions and then says, see him? That's a guy who has balance, perspective, motivation, appreciation, et cetera, right? But we forgot the other hundred that stayed behind for that one versus look at the rich. And then we do just the opposite with the rich. We say, see that brat? See that person that doesn't like their life and is just sitting there <laughs> druggy out and hates everything because they got it all. And forgetting the other hundred that are going to these great institutions and carrying on daddy's and mommy's company and making generational wealth continue. And I learned that by going to Columbia. And I would have known that. I would have been, I would have bought into the same narrative. Like the only way you get a hungry kid or a hungry athlete is he has to come from nothing. I was like, nah. 
when I got to Columbia and I realized all of my classmates, second, third generation Columbia, Ivy League, motivated, just a different personality. They wore it differently. I've always looked at my family like, I got to change what all is to them. Like, I think a lot of times you got to, if you have it all, no one has it all. We got to redefine all. All is not pool, big house, cars, et cetera. All is, are you giving of yourself fully to whatever you're committed to? Then are you also taking that giving to someone else who's less fortunate? And it's almost like I erased somebody who's slower than me. It's like, dude, all right. I give you a head start. Like I, I, I'm gonna give you something and still compete against you. So when I go back to help kids, I'm always like, look, I'm here because I have a little excess and I'm gonna give it to you. And I want people to have that mindset and it starts with my family. I think the toughest thing people struggle with is creating a value system. Um, because when you become affluent, everyone wants the, the values to reflect and it looks a certain way. like. You, it's hard to be rich and not have a nice house, you know? So all of a sudden you start looking like what you are instead of what you really value. Like, do you really value the gigantic house or do you value that I have provided for my family so that they can't walk around and say they need something, they have it, right? I, I, I told you this the other day, I, I went through the phase where I bought cars because I had money and I wanted to show I had money. So the way you show you have money, the first thing you do is buy some chains or some gold or something that everyone can't buy. And then you're like, oh, they can buy chains or real or fake, they bought them. Now you're like, damn it, how can I impress this world? Ah, I got two cars. And then you get, you know, you got your sports car and you got your day car and then you're like, oh man, but I need my drop top too. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm out here, I have five, six cars. And I'm like, I need one, cause why? I can only be in one, right? And now I'm a guy that isn't one. But I think the value system allows you to make it look like exactly how you want it. And you know what that is. Drive, determination, compete against yourself. Life is a competition between you and yourself. For my kids, the struggle is just making sure they know that value system. Like you don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to act a certain way. And especially being uh, a black family, I've I have to fight this whole culture um, that told me that being educated or or articulate or hanging around too many white people was not actually being black. And I was like, what? I liked to skateboard when I was nine, and that was corny. I was like, why is skateboarding Cordy? They're like, cause nobody black does it. And I was like, oh, well, got a point. I, I just like, I, I fall off every time, but I like skateboarding. It was just so, I liked rock and roll. I liked Van Halen when I was a little kid. Why? Cause my, my neighbor, his dad loved it. And then I jump Panama and I sing that. And they like, you all right, Wiley? I'm like, yeah, what you mean? You sounded corny, sounded real white. And I'm like, real white? God dang. <laughs> And, you know, Eminem went through the flip. So, you know, that's the whole point of this stuff. I got to make sure my kids can navigate through that BS, man, and still be themselves. You have a child who I believe just graduated college, Yes, right? yes, 24 years 24. old. 24. Now you have three other kids, yeah. right, much younger. Marcellus being the oldest, that's seven. 
What's the difference in parenting 24 years ago and parenting now? What challenges do you see that you didn't really see back then that you're seeing now? Or are you are you seeing a difference? Yeah. Oh, man. So my daughter just graduated Columbia, got her master's. Uh, so she didn't walk in my shoes. Everyone says, walk in your shoes. I'm like, nah, I'm going to stand on your shoulders. She stood taller than me, and I'm so proud of her. Um, but she is my ultimate motivation um, for many a reasons, but in parenting specifically, is because I wasn't the best parent. One, I was an active player. Two, I wasn't in a nuclear family. I wasn't with her mother. We weren't married. Um, three, the complications of having, it's almost like a divorced kid. Like, oh, all right, so now, even yesterday, we were on the same page, maybe different paragraphs, but same page. Oh, we're split? I don't ever want to read your book again, you know? And we kind of went through that contention. And that was really difficult because the kid is always in the middle of that, no matter who wins that tug of war. And I decided to let the rope go in terms of fighting. So I gave a lot in terms of, you can start financially, but who cares about that as much as like morals, ethics, because I couldn't be there to enforce it as much as I wanted. So you become... You become like, you know, the the weekend parent or for this month she's with you. And I was blessed. She got to stay with me for one year, even after we broke up. But everything I was conceptualizing, everything I stood for, it was almost like I could try and make it a part of the cultural law of our home. And then there was no police to enforce it. So everybody just, oh, you said we can't jaywalk? Shoot. I'm out, you know, I walk across the street, here comes a car. And that happened time and time again. And that's not to say anything negative about her mom, it's just we weren't on the same page. And you know, as a family, if you're not on the same page, good luck to you guys. Um, but I use all of those real experiences from being there and frankly not being there um, to make me be present with my kids now. Like, I mean, there's not, there's not a, a hour that goes by without me being tapped into that motivation of, oh, you remember those days where you were crying and you weren't there and you heard she did this and you knew the antidote to that before it even occurred. Nothing worse than you get a phone call. It could be something little, something about a boy and, and she's 14 and you're like, oh, we didn't have to talk enough. <laughs> like, you know, I'm talking through the phone or I saw her and then she left and then who knows who was around her that told her different. It was just like tough. So as tough as that was, it's almost like parallel to how tough Compton was. It's like, is this as present and as detailed as I am now because I went through those tough moments. Mm. Yeah, so it almost, it almost you had to go through that experience almost to realize that, hey, I need to be more present in, in this particular round of life. Yeah. And I think we all, and I know I go through this, I'm always worried, am I doing everything I possibly can to give these kids the, you know, we talked about this before, we just kind of hand off our kids when they're 21 and say, hey, this is... This is uh, the job I did. Hopefully it's enough for they, they could get through life. Hopefully they have manners. Hopefully they're respectful. Hopefully they make their correct decisions in life. And I'm putting so much pressure on myself to make sure they're being raised in this way. Sometimes I feel 
I go, should I, should I loosen up here? It seems like in just being around you in a social setting, and I wish I had a little bit more of his attitude, mm. where it just seems a yeah, <laughs> have fun, you know, like, and I'm more like, don't, don't do that. What are you doing? Stop. Uh, is, this, is this just yeah, a, yeah. is this a cautious decision you've made, or just just the type of guy you tend to be? Kind of like, I don't say throwing caution to the wind, but it seems to be a very laid back. Let the kids do what they want to do. Not that they're misbehaving at all. It just seems very, very loose. And I seem rigid. Yeah. But it just seems right. I just, <laughs> I just, I just, I'm listening to this whole thing and I just, there's a lot of course correction that's going to have to happen. I'm just thinking about just this morning with my girls. I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Like one thing after another. Cause we talk about perspective even with among just having two kids, right? Yeah. Your first kid, you hold, you stare, you fix. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, you just, you don't know what to do. I thought I would have that perspective as a, as a pediatrician and holding Aubrey and then the phone ringing and being like, can somebody get the phone? Like I could have just put her down and get the phone. You don't have that. You have it in spades, which is just amazing to hear. We have a thing we do here called mailbag. We just take a, a question from one of our listeners. Mailbag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly what it's about. It's the thing we do here at every other show. <laughs> That's right. Mailbag. And we're gonna we're gonna change how we record it now. Yeah. <laughs> just use his voice uh, when, when we introduce mailbag. We're gonna jump right in. Mailbag. This was a sports related. Yeah, question. so a couple sports related questions. Oh, it says, right. "Hi, I'm Mike from Indianapolis. I coach my son's soccer team, and I'm always concerned about the risk of concussions. What signs should I watch out for, and what are the best ways to prevent them?" Did you deal with this? Obviously, as a football player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my first concussion occurred at a playground. Actually, I was uh, seven years old. I got pushed out of the swings. Man, a scary story. Uh, let me fly through this. These blood showed up. These gangsters, like, and you know, when you're seven, a uh, eleven year old looks like Shrek. You know what I mean? And these these suckers were like fourteen, and they just showed up. And I mean, typical gang look, bloods. I was like, oh god. So, this is the worst part about growing up around gangs. You have no options. You're at their mercy. You take off running. They're there, like, why are you running? So they're coming after you. You stay still. Oh, you think you tough? And I'm like, no, I don't know what to do. I'm just dumb right now. I'm like, so here they come. And I'm like, oh, God. And this is why, you know, MJ makes me cry sometimes when I see him in the backyard on his swings or whatever. I'm like, bro, you don't know the half. So I'm like here. I'm like here. And then here they come. and say, oh, I'm going to push you, blood. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to get pushed by this dude. But there's no escape. <laughs> and then you ever go so high on the swings? It goes, da, 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 da. And then that's a warning sign from the Lord himself. Like, you about to fly, bro. <laughs> and then the last push was like, either I was going to do a 360, which I have not seen uh, <laughs> landed properly, or launch. So I launched. But when I was launching in the air, I thought I was fine. Sand, 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 sand. Boulder. Oh. Sleep. Sleep. Boy, I sleep. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm in my grandmother's bathroom. And she's like, don't look. And I was like, look at what? And I looked and it was a hole. You can still see the scar, but a hole in my head. 
nine stitches. Another but one. How, how, how was the boulder, though? Was the boulder okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Took him out. <laughs> you going to play football for real, um, <laughs> little man. Ball out. You know, I had another concussion. Silliness. Jumping into a three-foot swimming pool. This is a funny story. I got to tell you this. None of these concussions, by the way. Not yeah, football related. Right, right. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm eight. I'm, no, no, I'm like eight, nine years old. We're in Oregon running at this uh, international classic. So I walk into the swimming pool. And we're at the Holiday Inn, you know, our track team, LA Jets, we're up there. And everyone around, not the country, the world, this is the International Track Classic. And um, I'm there, and there, there's just kids everywhere. So, you know, you ever go to any of these tournaments, it's like, goodness, where all these kids come from? So there's like a million eight-year-olds in the pool, right? And I'm looking, and everyone's hitting flips. Bow, bow. I'm like... I've never been in a pool. I can't even remember. I've never been in a swim pool. So I was like, yo. I mean, we had the one at Target, that little six-incher. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The water hose. Yeah, yeah. But I've never been in a pool. So I was like, oh. And I, I'm i the fastest kid in my division. I'm, 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 I end up winning the, the Nationals. So I'm like, yo, I'm the most athletic one here. And these suckers are hitting flips. My turn. And then I just go to the edge of the pool. They all just playing. They're playing. And I just go. And back, oh, the first God. pack was hitting the water. The second pack was hitting the floor the right under it, right? Oh, you're so Concussed. lucky. Yeah. You're but lucky you know what the paralyzed. Part, I know. I didn't know. This is the funniest thing. Because I've never been in a swim pool. I didn't even acknowledge they were doing that in the eight feet. And I was oh, over here. I went right to three feet. Shit. I, I didn't know a pool had depth. <laughs> oh. <laughs> was he was he at your pool the other day? Speedo Swan Diamond? <laughs> like looking at me. Oh, you know, that three minutes. Oh, <laughs> my God. All right, so anyway, let me funny. give you a football one. Um, All right, I'm a running back at Columbia. This is the football one. Then I get to it. I am the tailback. So I shouldn't be, but I'm at Columbia, so I can do what I want. But if I went to Alabama, get your head to the end. Um, so I'm, like, getting the ball, doing all this. And coach slipped. I, I gained, like, nine yards or something. Second and one. Coach does the universal sign of run it back. Do it again. My coach, Ray Taylor, did this. And I saw it, and our offense saw it, but guess who else saw it? Oh, other team. So then we run the same exact play, like a dive play. And this kid came, and he was like, oh, yeah. Whoa. Wow. Next thing I remember is I'm walking on a field far away. Flash, only a flash. Next thing I remember is that I'm on the bus and I'm trying to hit the emergency escape hatch because I'm trying to get out to go to the bathroom that way. And then the next thing I remember was like a day or two later. That was the last concussion I had and I was in college. I can't lie, in the NFL, I don't remember having any concussions. In part, you learn the technique of the masters, which is, you know, a lot of this. Um, and in part, uh, you, you, you're smarter. I mean, you're just, you're finely tuned by that time, but they still get concussed all the time. To answer the question, um, look, concussions at a young age, this is why my son doesn't play tackle football in part. There's no reason for a kid to be concussed that young, but when you're playing soccer, headers, obviously, a lot of leagues ban headers at this age mm -hmm. for that obvious reason. But if you're concussed, your problem is not that concussion as much as the multiple concussions. Now you're more prone for the next and the next. And 
It's just like marriages. The second one has a higher chance of failing, and, and then the third one, it just gets worse. I thought Not, you were going to say injury. <laughs> higher chance of injury than the next one. So um, I wish I could tell them an a antidote or a way to avoid it other than try to stay out of headers. But, you, but you're right. I mean, technique's important. So if you're, if you're playing soccer, learning the proper technique to head the ball, they've instituted, you know, a lot more rules around using your head in football and tackling and the medical evaluations and how much time it used to be with concussions. You were just out for a certain amount of time. We've removed all of that. And now it's gradual return to play based on symptoms. So you have to be 100% symptom free before you do anything. Then you start with like the walking and the jogging and you gradually increase. And if you start having symptoms again, you go back to the beginning because to your point, we tell all the kids, it's not your first concussion. That's the problem. It's the recurrent. And if you try to go back to play before you're ready, you're just more more prone to more injury. Man, yeah. I love hearing all that. Because that's a whole different animal than that. When I played, it was patient diagnosed. You ask anybody, this is why boxers have corner men. It's not because I need somebody to dab me off with a towel or say, hey, hit him with the right. Yeah, I've kind of been boxing my whole life. I know they hit him with the right. It's to protect you from yourself in those moments when you, you're okay and your corner man can take that hit of, he's no punk, but that's it. We quit. Like, you know, your corner man is really there to protect you from yourself. And in football, you are your own corner man. Like, nobody is there loving you more than you. Nobody. Your best friend on the team? Nope. Mama in the stands can't help. Coach don't give a damn. Owners, like, next kid, next player up. So it's like you got to protect yourself. And when you do pick those moments to protect yourself, a Kawhi Leonard comes to mind or whatever it may be, the world caves on you. You coward. You punk. Oh, you're not earning what we give you and our hard-earned money. And next thing you know, a lot of times that kid, that player caves. And imagine at the high school level, you're not even getting paid to do it. And people looking at you sideways like, oh, really? You're not going to play? And that's where it starts. You have a lot of knowledge, obviously. You coach your son's team. Did you ever, after playing football, want to get into like NFL coaching or teaching, you know, young adolescent kids? Oh man, uh, about kind of the your story and just kind of sharing that knowledge to more on a professional level. Yeah, um, to kind of bring these questions together, man, because I, I love what you said about how. I have a different temperament than I think the, the average parent. Um, and I think that came from just my experiences and, and really kind of being mindful about those experiences in the terms of like one, I just contest this whole belief system. And maybe it's just our country that they turn 18 or 21 and let them go. You know, I'm not landing a helicopter here. I'm landing a plane. So a helicopter is 18, boom, you know, it could go up and down like that. A plane is like, oh, this is going to be gradual. <laughs> like, Because at 18, what if they're not ready? What are you going to say? Well, that's my bloodline. I kind of get old country then. You know, I go old school. Then like, if you got my last name, we are tied together. Now, that doesn't mean I'm taking care of you forever. It just means, okay, do you need assistance here? Maybe that's emotionally. Do you need assistance here? Maybe that is financially. Do you need a place to stay? Whatever it is to build you to a better existence. So I've never felt that way. Um, it's, it's crazy because my mother really brought that out of me in terms of like, 
I was a mother's, you know, mama boy, mama's boy, and she was Big Bear, I was the little cub, and I look at my kids the same way. So when I come around, uh, I'm so like open to letting these kids be who they want to be, and then trying to prop up that versus, no, you're gonna be a football player, no, you're gonna be smart, it's like, okay, I have an expectation that you're gonna be an athlete and an academic, but we'll see where you fall into that. And I learned that, frankly, when my mother passed away, I realized, relax, because I overcame that moment and I didn't think I could. So, you know, uh, in the moment like that, when you, you see your mother and she's gone, and I literally had to see her physically, and I thought that was the toughest moment of my life, but more will follow in that next week. But I thought the sun wouldn't come up the next day. Like I stayed up that whole night. And I remember it was like four in the morning, then five in the morning and still dark. I'm like, all right. And then you see that that light blue, you know. I, I believe in levity. So that Vegas blue, we all seen it. We're like, oh God, here you go, that Vegas blue. And I was like, and I felt betrayed by the world. And I was like, oh, you're just gonna keep on going. You're just gonna keep on spinning. And I'm sitting here without my mom, the thing that mattered more to me than anything by far, not even close, not even close. And I was like, oh wow. And that woke me up and it made me relax. Even though I was still going through pain and hell and it's still traumatic, it's just the fact that you realize, why are you harping on all those other things? Enjoy this whole thing, how it spins, how it keeps going life, living, death, like just enjoy it, let people be. Because if not, you're gonna still get to this place. And did you enjoy getting there? You know, being strict, being rigid is not gonna force a kid to be. And being strict and rigid is not gonna force you to get where you wanna be. It's like, if you put in the work, you trust yourself and you persevere, you'll get there. And it's just as simple as that, instead of like, you know, different coaches, and I'm like, coach, I'm gonna do the same stuff. <laughs> Versus coach like, hey, this is the play. Go get it, Wiley, you, you, you ready, you're prepared. And I'll, I'll go out there and do the same thing. So that's how I parent. Um, uh, I never wanted to be a coach. Uh, I don't wanna be a, a high level coach. Like high school on, I can't. I would literally look at these kids, like you imagine, <laughs> The day one of these ninth graders rolls his eyes at me and I made it and you haven't made it and probably won't make it. Let's be real. And then you sitting there with two. I'm like, bruh, I'm here to help. And you don't want it. Oh, so I like this level. I like this level because these kids buy into everything I say. Good, bad, ugly. They believe in coach. Um, whenever that belief is challenged, that's my level of let me get out of this and go back to the beginning. So. I can't do it at a high level, man. These kids, they just crack me up. Uh, they think they know it all because it's all on their phone, in their hand. So did you have, while you were playing, a an ambition to be a broadcaster and get into what you're doing now as far as, I mean, does that hit you mid-career going, what am I going to do? Because Obviously, you have a certain amount of time you could play in the NFL, and then your body gives out, and you're just not as good as you used so to be. What happened to you? I have no idea. <laughs> no your idea. Body my, body, my, my body never. Skip the NFL part. <laughs> Skip all that contact. Let's just give up. <laughs> you go through your ailments, and they're like, oh, did you play in the NFL? No. Yeah. No. no. My, my, 
<laughs> I not, my body never gave in. Um, so, so, and I couldn't imagine like doing what I'm doing, doing what you're doing. You know, there's really no time constraint on it as far as, you know, you could do comedy, you could do pediatrics with an athlete. They have to like figure out what the hell am I going to do the rest of my life after sports? So was that, was this something that was on your mind while you were playing or did you stop playing and look around and go, all right, we got to <laughs> pivot. Yeah, we got to. <laughs> right. Oh, man. You have to have like two careers. I mean, you almost have to have like two careers. Yeah, plus you're young. Yeah. Right? There you go. I mean, you're young and yeah. making a lot of decisions yeah. for a second life yeah. being young. I was 32, retired. And it was a weird feeling. I thought it was going to be the best feeling of my life. Like, I'm 32. I got commas in the bank. Oh, man, every girl likes me. Oh, I'm winning. I got cars out here, big old house. I'm killing it. And then I was like, the first thing that woke me up was like, I called my boys. Like, what's up? What you doing? It's like a Wednesday at noon. They're like, what do you mean? Work, fool. Oh, this sounds familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you the only one retired, homie. And I'm like, okay. So then I start making up errands just to kind of, Occupy my time. I'm going to the cleaners again. You know, I'm going to the mall again. Like, you know, I'm going to the store again. I'm like, this ain't gonna last, bro. This is not gonna last. Um, but I guess to give a little color to it, to rewind, I grew up and I hit the ground running in sports. So before I could even know who I was, everyone was telling me who I should be. They're like, hey, you gotta, you gotta play ball, dog. Goodness, you're eight years old that fast and you're that good. And I love playing football, but I was like, I swear, I didn't know that there was a professional NFL. I didn't know that at eight, when I signed up, I was like, there are guys who do this on TV, but I didn't think that was a job and like, you know, millions of dollars. I was like, oh, that's another TV show. And they just playing football on that one. And then I signed up, I'm good. Um, you look up and you start to realize, oh, this could be a life. And I always wanted to be a school teacher. So, I never let that go. And everyone kept slapping my hand. Let that go. You're not going to be a school teacher. Put all your focus in on football, except my family. Everyone else, ball, ball, ball. And I was like, I'm going to be a school teacher. So the Columbia decision really was basically thinking the dual mindset of, dog, I don't care how good I am in football. One, I may not make it. And if I do make it, it ain't going to be forever. So you better have something else that, resonates that says as much as the NFL says, damn, you bald, that you're smart, that you have a wherewithal. And I was like, oh, snap. And I was going through the recruiting process and no slight to any school, but nothing said what Columbia said, you know? I was like, oh, shoot. Because as soon as I went back and told everybody about it, my friends were like, oh, you going to South America to go to school? You dumbass. <laughs> Dumb as hell. I'm going to go there. And then my teachers was like, Oh my God, you have to go, it's amazing. So you look up, you retire, and I've already walked into a locker room where most guys are not thinking, like I'm thinking, you know, they're, they're football players and I'm playing football and it's like a whole different animal. So they were mean to the media. I hated, I hated my teammates when, before and after the game. I was like, dog, why are you mumbling? Like, so what did you think about that third third down and, and, and long play that you actually completed? Um, Co-called it, we did it. I'm like, come on, man. I know you know how to talk better than that. I know you talk more crazy than that. And so I would actually say, man, it was crazy. Third and goal, I didn't know what the hell. Coach said one thing. I was like, man, Coach, I don't think it's going to work. And this is my answer. And they're like, 
where this kid come from? <laughs> like, like, why is he talking so much and and not really adversarial to the media? And I was like, because one, I wasn't used to the media. These kids, they're, you know, most of these guys, you know, you go to Alabama, Georgia, goodness, since eighth grade, you're just bombarded. And then you get to college and it's big business. So I skipped that step. I was bombarded in high school, but it was like, whatever. And I liked it because it used, used it to get, you know, love at school, you know? But then you get to college, it's, it's kind of taxing, especially when you're not making any money, your coach is making 10 million, and then you're making zero at that time. And you're like, oh. And they were just fatigued. So I used that human capital to have relationships. And when the media, when I retired, the media came running to me because they're like, dude, you will actually explain yourself. You will actually talk through it. And uh, the rest is kind of history. So I'll leave you with this question. And I think all athletes and, and anybody in any profession always thinks that maybe their time in, in your case, the NFL was, oh, man, that was like, do you look at the NFL now and go, these guys are soft or these guys are, man, I could never play in this league. Well, obviously, I mean, you know, we run into this whole thing. You can't compare like because it just, you know, the equipment has gotten better and yeah. the athlete is a far superior athlete than, say, 50 years ago. But as you look around the landscape of the NFL, do you go, man, shit, if I could <laughs> drop 20, I think I could still get in there. Or like, is is there a part of you that, I don't know, I, I guess wishes that you could compete now to see where you are with the current crop of players or do you just look at it from afar going, what, what is it? What's the opinion? Oh, man, it's all over the place. Um, only by birth certificate, I wish I was born later so I can take advantage of all the money they're making right now. So, like, I never look at the game like, oh, I could go get a sack right now. Oh my God, that double team, I could have took it better than him. You know, never, never. Um, I just look at how much they make. And then sometimes I run the comps like, damn, at this number. I remember uh, <laughs> <laughs> it happened too. It happened with the Chargers. My boy, uh, Joey Bosa, he got paid 120 some million. And at the number of sacks he had, I think I was right there, maybe one behind or one ahead. And I got paid 40 million. Like, so we were the same guy, but that's three times. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't be doing parenting podcasts. Like, like, yeah, like. Peasants? I'd be like, feed me grapes. Um, so that that peeps into my mind every now and then. Um, but nothing about on the field between the white lines. Um, I don't think this era is softer. I hate when people do that. I love to compare eras as well. I hate when people say, oh, you can't. I'm, yeah, I can, damn it. Um, it's easier in some sports. Uh, Time-based, track and field is easier. But look, we know there are different influences that change it, technology, et cetera, mindsets. Uh, but let's say this. I think that every era makes the hard work look easier, makes the hard game, makes the hard moments look easier. So therefore we think they're softer. They're not going through the same resistance. It happens with our parents. They're like, oh, you don't, you don't know the half. I just said it about my son. You don't know what I had to go through. He's like, good for you. <laughs> I'm gonna go through less and get more out of it, damn it. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> That's um, funny. So I don't look at- That's funny. These kids, they're just bigger, faster, stronger. 
it just happens. And um, I, my son is bigger, faster, stronger than me. And I watch, I go to games. The moment that I realized, don't even let that thought creep in my mind. I went to a Charger game years ago after retirement. And it's one of those, oh, what's up, Wiley moments, you know? But it was pregame. So, you know, the sideline and passes and you're sitting there and they're coming out the tunnel. And steam and ah, all that craziness. The headphones are off now. They, now they're truly psycho right now. They're in that space. And I've been there before. And then they're like, ah, and they're looking around. And then you connect with one of your boys who's still playing, but you done. <laughs> and this sucker here hit me with that game day juice. Like, Wally. And it almost tore my torso off. <laughs> like, almost lost half my limbs. And I was like, Jesus. And you're not even a Hall of Famer. Like, you're not even, like, dog, it's just levels to this. So you realize uh, I, I, I gently bow out, tap out, and uh, stay on these sidelines like I belong, like the old man I am. <laughs> I, lo I love it. All right, we got to do one more thing because I want to see this. We do we do a, something called toy time. So we we take a kid's product and we... We check it out. So I, I think this is the only oh, way wow. Sebastian will be able to beat you in boxing. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and so we're going to go head to head. Rock'em, sock'em, robot. You remember that? this? You remember this as a kid? I, I, I ain't going to lie. I saw the commercials. I never, ever have touched one of yeah, these. Yeah. So this is, I, I think I think from what I remember, is you hit and then the 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 head pops yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All could, right could, you got to hold the microphone. Ready? Standing oh. five foot 11. All right. <laughs> 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 How much? How much you weigh? Look at this. Hold on, we can't even get our our, our, our pre-fight intros in. Come on, man, time. Right, on your marks, get on your set, marks. <laughs> go. Ding, ding. Oh, look at him. Give me some competition. Oh, I gotta get closer, get that right. Uh oh, man, we are the same exact height. Get in there, baby. Get over here. Uh 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 uh. Oh, that left, MJ. Uh. Man. Oh God, I love that. We have not had. I love that your thumbs are getting tired. <laughs> I think this is broke. <laughs> Seriously, we have not You're just connected. a punch. I, I think I'm jamming no, you. Yeah. Marcel is like blocking. Look at him. Yeah, he is. Oh, uh oh, oh. Come on. Come on. Look at, look at the shirt. Dude, I need an arm extension. I need an arm extender. You guys got to oh, him. Oh, wow. Yes. yes. Which is crazy because I really thought you were giving it I to him. I was winning. Yeah, this you is were. biased. You were. A lot of jabs, though. Too many jabs. No, no, no listen. <laughs> listen. I'm sorry. This is old school game. Yeah, this is we, great. We grew up with this. I'm gonna give this a ten out of ten. Yeah, I'm sorry. We only I'm, go to five, which is like, yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. I'm 49, and I got so involved in yeah. this. Seriously, saying yeah. that uh, I, I, I love I love the game. And what we do is we give the game to our guests. So if you want to take oh, that home, yeah, too, this is our too. gift to you. That's and, yeah, and I'll too. sign it on the way out for you. <laughs> We appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy man, and uh, you are our first guest in studio. That's my favorite Would guest I've yeah. ever had in oh, studio. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. Uh, after this, I'm I'm readjusting my parenting style. And, uh, I'm going home. I'm apologizing to my girls. I'm apologizing to my wife. She already knows. Oh, man. I, oh, yeah, I got to stop on the drive home from soccer games. My daughter scores three goals. I'm still telling her what she did was wrong. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, so many things have come up during this. Oh, it's man. unbelievable. You guys are the best. Bro. Well, we appreciate We really it. appreciate right. you. Take care. You guys, man. Yeah.
The opinions expressed in this program are not intended as professional medical advice, as a diagnosis, as a treatment protocol, or as a substitute for professional medical advice from your physician. Please consider your own medical history and consult with your own physician for your specific health care and or medical needs and about your concerns for yourself and your family.